0: Matthew chapter 24, verses 45 through 51. And it reads Who then is a faithful and wise servant, whom his master made ruler over his household to give them food in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find do- so doing so. Assuredly, I say to you, they will make him ruler over all his goods. But if that evil servant says in his heart, My master is delaying his coming, and begins to beat his fellow servants, and to eat and drink with the drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day when he's not looking for him, and at an hour that he's not aware of. And he will cut him in two, and appoint him in portion with the hypocrites. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Thank you, Josiah. Well, great to see everybody today. Lots of good things are going on, and uh, one of those things is this is the last day to turn in your suggestions for elders. And so if you have somebody that you think would be a good elder, please, uh, there's some forms at the Welcome Center, fill it out, turn it in. Be sure you sign your name. It's hard to take people seriously who can't even sign their name on a suggestion they're giving for somebody, so make sure you do that. And that's just one of the things that uh, will help us in looking for new leaders. So in being able to look around and see what's going on, it seems like there's this one secret and it seems like there's a lot of secrets. And so just to be able to share with you, I have the secret today. So by the time you leave you will know the secret everybody's looking for the secret but they're looking for the secret diet that lets them eat all the chocolate they want and so that's one secret I don't have they're looking for a way to save money while you spend it and there are some schemes out there I understand there's people you can talk to or how to have a great relationship while treating everyone badly We don't have a lot of those kind of secrets, but I just thought about this this week as as you go to your computer and you open up the browser and for some reason, I must have clicked on something somewhere, but there are all these titles of different things that are going on and all these answers that it has. And it seems like somebody has a lot of answers to a lot of the secrets. Now, a lot of them are couched in this idea of self-help, so I just thought I'd share with you some of the secrets that I found this week. I didn't read all the articles, but uh, here are some of the secrets. Why long walks will change your life. How to reduce attention residue in your life. I'm not even sure what that is. But apparently, I've got way too much of it. Everything you need to know about oat milk. I don't need to know anything about oat milk other than it does not taste good. Why your brain loves procrastination. And so does the rest of me. A case against stretching. How to end traffic. Well, that would be useful sometimes. How flying seriously messes up your mind. Everything you need to know about obesity is wrong. Why socks help you sleep better. And last, yes, you can catch insanity. (laughs) I am kind of worried about the last one there because it seems like, yeah, there are just some of those days. So this was all in one day. And I thought, wow, look at all the secrets you could have. You could learn so many. They don't really have any. But I do have one for you, and it's really found in this passage that we were looking at in Matthew 24 today. And the context of this passage is about Jesus and about the coming of the Son of Man again, and about how they've always been asking about who's the greatest servant. And so here he puts it in terms of who's the faithful and wise servant. Okay. Not a self-help, but who would Jesus put in charge? Who's the guy Jesus would pick as leader? And specifically, he talks here about it being very personal. The guy who fixes dinner, the one who gives people what they need at the proper time. Here is their food at the proper time. The person who's responsible for others. And and he says, well, the one who does it. Okay. That doesn't seem like much of a secret, but there's a gap between the time when somebody was supposed to do it and they find the next person who's supposed to do it, and then who does it in between? And sometimes it can be just a day or a week or sometimes it's years that we go between, okay, this person did a really good job and... We'll find someone who does a good job, but that gap in between, well, who does it? You know, like when mom is sick and maybe in the hospital, who cleans the house? Um, the kids all look at each other and go, well, we don't know. And the dad looks at the kids and go, well, I think you guys ought to. And it's like, well, uh, no, we, we just don't know. And so, okay, they spend the next few weeks wondering why the mess is getting deeper and deeper because somebody's got to step in and do that and it seems like that's what Jesus is trying to say here is the one who fills in the gap the one who does not that they've been assigned to do it but they just do it I have heard somebody say one time oh don't worry about it things just happen no things don't just happen Obviously, you're the one not doing them, but that just means a whole lot of other people have jumped in to do it for you. But their attitude was that, you know, everything just works out in the end. Yeah, that's because somebody else is working it out in the end. And so Jesus says, I notice those people. And then he says, I also notice when they take advantage of things. When there are people who might be consumers, and they go more toward the people who are consumers, and they decide, well, you know, we can just use all this for us. And it doesn't matter what it is. Here he mentions the, the ones that we would know of, the drunkards or things like that. And then this horrible punishment, you know, he's going to put him with the hypocrites, but first we cut him in pieces? Uh, I don't even understand. How bad are the hypocrites then? I mean if that's what this has happening but we all know and understand or we should that the master has given us something and he expects us to take care of it and we could abuse it or we could ignore it but who's the one who does it without even being asked just because God gave it to you because that's where we are and so I have this secret that very few people ever realize and it's a very very important one and just showing up is half the battle. So the secret is just show up. Okay. So that was a good sign. I saw this one showing up as half the battle until I saw the next one, 80% of success is just showing up. I thought, well, this is great. And then if you keep searching, 90% of life is showing up. Oddly enough, it's a quote by the same guy. All three times. So uh, let me just say our odds are improving. But it's a very simple thing that, you know, when you show up, nothing happens until you do. But when you do, things happen. And it gets better. And that's really such a simple thing. It's the first principle of discipleship, though, is that people would show up. Jesus calls and they come and... Sure enough, that's what we find in in Mark chapter 1, as he talks about calling some of his first disciples. He says, passing along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and they followed him. And going a little further, he saw James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, who were in the boat mending nets, and immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with a hired servant and followed him. And so Peter and Andrew are doing something else, but Jesus calls them and says, I want you to follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. Okay, how would we know if it worked? well there's an easy way to know if it worked it's when they drop what they're doing and turn around and come follow you and then James and John the same thing it's you know follow me well how do you know if they really are well because they left their dad they left the business apparently there's other servants there and people who are there who are able to do this and so it's not like okay I'm walking out of work now and who cares what they're going to do. No, there's other people who can take care of this, but they have something more important. And so they decide they're going to follow Jesus. And so it's very simple, the guy who shows up. And that's what they did. I mean, Jesus called them first to say, follow me, but then that's what happens. And so we know that they heard. He says, I'll make you fishers of men. But he's only going to make you fishers of men if you show up. It's not an appointed position. You don't have to be there, either as fishers of men or disciple or apostle, where they will eventually be. Uh, None of those are an appointed thing. Well, let's just, you know, randomly draw and pick some names of people who we want to. No, you don't do that. It's the people who are actually doing it. The people who are actually there, the people who are following the people who showed up. As you look toward the end of the chapter, we find Jesus is constantly teaching and healing. And so it says that evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons and the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. So who does Jesus heal? Well, it's pretty easy. The ones who showed up, right? That's the ones he heals. So everybody who came to him, he heals. Uh, pretty soon, it looks like the whole city's at the door, and so he heals all of them. Uh, Mark 1.40, You see, there's a leper who comes to him, and Jesus heals him because he came to him. And then chapter two, you find there's a paralytic. And he heals the paralytic, but not before there are so many people crowded in. They have to take off the roof and, well, why are they doing that? Because i got to get this guy to Jesus so he can heal him. In other words, they're brought to him. He showed up, even if it took some of his friends just to be able to get him there. Well, every single time you see that's what happens. These people came and they showed up. There's a man with a withered hand in the synagogue. Now he was a plant and people had put him there but he runs across Jesus in his path. And you're able to see the times where Jesus is able to heal. He heals the blind man. Because he ran across them in his travels or because they heard he was coming and they went and found him. But you see this and there are so many people who are coming and you see him constantly being able to teach and being able to heal and this is just one of the things he does but he heals the ones who come to him he's not searching for anybody who doesn't know him or isn't looking for him it's the ones who show up and when you look at the way in which he teaches he teaches the ones who came to him. Now, the crowd's so big, he's not able to go into the city, and there are many people around him. So, yeah, that would make sense. That's who you're going to teach. Even when there's a centurion who believes Jesus does not have to show up in order to heal, but the centurion showed up to ask Jesus. And so all of the healing that is done is done because somebody showed up. And sometimes we get the complaint against God today, it seems like, is, well, God's never done anything for me. Well, did you show up? Did you ever ask? Did you ever go? Did you ever make yourself known that this is what you wanted or or said anything at all to him? Well, no, God's just supposed to see everything and know everything and therefore come to me and fix whatever my problem is. That's not the way it works. That's the secret. It does not work that way. It will be when you show up for him. And that's the way it always happens. Jesus teaches, and who does he teach? The ones who showed up to listen. And that's always the way it works. By the way, since you're picking elders, how about if we pick the ones who show up? Maybe that ought to be a good deal. I'm not sure we need to Pick an elder who never attends or never comes or isn't here and doesn't really know what's going on. Leaders have always been the ones who show up. And it just seems like that. Some people quit. They couldn't follow. There's a rich young ruler that Jesus talks about. And he came and was so excited. Tell me what else I have to do. And he says, oh, keep the law. And he says, I have. I've done all that. He had done so much for God. And then Jesus says, well, do you really want to know? He says, you have to sell everything and give it to the poor. And then come and follow me. And then he can't show up anymore. That's all it took. Well, that's a lot. But that's what it took for him to be able to show up. And he decides, I... I can't follow with that. In John 6, there's a time when you see the people are, he's trying to take them further, trying to teach them about this closeness that he has. And he's talking about the time when this spiritual closeness comes in and especially it's going to be around his death and it's going to be because of his blood. And so he tries to explain this as, well, you know, it's like, taking me in and then he uses the terms of well eat my flesh and drink my blood and they're going what? We don't understand that. That doesn't make any sense and at that point they quit showing up because we don't get it we don't understand it and we don't want to hear it and I think that's what happens it's either too much of a personal price for us That we don't want to show up anymore. Or it's a confusion for us where we don't really understand it. And so I don't know what to do with it. So we quit showing up because of that. And sometimes it is hard to follow. And especially when we don't understand, it's really hard to follow. But we do this with everything else. And we do learn. And Jesus is always there to reveal and that may be the difference in the disciples, the ones who eventually become apostles. When he asks them if they're going to leave, their answer is, well, where else will we go? I mean, you've got the words of eternal life. There's, there's nowhere else to go that has a better explanation. And the only other thing is just say, well, we just won't show up. It doesn't work. There is a time when Jesus didn't show up. I don't know if you remember that, but there's a time with Lazarus where Jesus does not show up. He's heard about Lazarus. He's heard he's sick. He knows he's sick. He knows it's getting close to the end. And he's going to wait a couple days. Because it's pretty risky to go back. They're looking for him in Jerusalem. They're, they're about to destroy him. And, you know, Bethany's not that far away. And so he's trying to tell his disciples about going back. And they don't really understand. He's talked about Lazarus is asleep. You know, trying to be nice about it. And they're just not getting it. And so in John 11 and verse 13, it says, Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant, taking rest in sleep, and Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. And so Thomas, called the twins, said to his fellow disciple, let us also go that we may die with him. Wow. Wow. I mean, there's lots of reasons not to go. One's the personal risk that you're going to put everyone in, not just him, but everybody who's a follower of Jesus. And so Lazarus isn't speaking, he ha- isn't sleeping, he has died, and Jesus is going, he's his friend. But he waited. And he says, I've waited, and I need for you to believe. And Thomas's statement is... We always think of doubting, Thomas, don't we? Is he's the one that doubted and didn't believe? And that story's later. but this is a real Thomas, too. There are times when you just say, "You know what? If he's going, we're going, and if he's going to die, we're going to die. We're going to show up for Jesus. And that's what they do. We don't look at the risk. Because the rest doesn't matter anymore. We just go wherever he is. And that is the way his disciples were. So as he gets closer, Mary comes to meet him. If you'll look in verse 17. When Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews who had come to had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained in the house, and Martha said to Jesus, Lord, I know if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. And so Jesus, on purpose, waited a couple of days, but now Lazarus has been not only dead, but in the tomb for four days. And there are still people there mourning. Her first words to him, if you'd been here, you wouldn't have died. You didn't show up. It would be different if you had come. And I don't know how to read this, whether she's accusing him, whether she's just sad, whether she's just saying how much she believes in Jesus, or whether she's really mad. And saying, you know, if you'd been here, he wouldn't have died. That's great faith that she has. And it's pretty incredible that she is that much aware. Because I think they have this close relationship. And she is that much aware that Jesus was not there. And she knows what he could do. She knows that he's been their friend for a long time. He stayed in their house. and Lots of other people came. Jesus, you didn't show up. And you're the guy who could have made the difference. Jesus simply says, your brother will rise again. And then they talk about resurrection. And they talk about him, not that he stayed away on purpose, but he was trying to teach them about resurrection, and that's why he did that. He claims that he's the resurrection and the life. And even with a good reason for teaching them something, she says, he didn't show up to save him. All of that hurts, doesn't it? And it's not long before Mary comes also. Apparently, Martha goes back. And so, down in verse 32, you see, when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And the Lord saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, He was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And then Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. And some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Ah. It's not just the sisters. Everybody knows you didn't show up. You weren't here. We think you could have done something about this situation. There's lots of emotion going on at the time. Jesus knows what he's about to do. And yet, even with all of the emotion that he sees, he is overcome as well. Have you ever had that? I don't think everybody does, but sometimes if one person laughs, the other person starts laughing. Our youngest son was like that. We'd tell a joke and we'd all laugh and look at him, and he would be laughing away, and we're going, Okay, so tell us what the joke is. He's like, I have no idea, but it's just, okay. <laughs> And the other side's true, too. Sometimes if someone's crying, then other people can't help but cry and share that emotion. And it says deep, Jesus is deeply moved in spirit. He's greatly troubled. And so Jesus cries, even though he knows what he's going to do. And the people also say, I think you could have kept him from dying. Jesus does heal Lazarus. He heals him of death. Now that's a big one. How can you heal someone of death? But I want you to think about this for just a minute. What's the difference in healing the disease and raising the dead? If you heal the disease... Certainly, you've done something that God wants. It's going to make the final result. It's going to be good. You showed up. If you raised the dead, it means you didn't heal the disease. It means you didn't show up. And I think that's what God gets accused of all the time is, well, God, you didn't show up for this. He goes, no, no, you don't understand. There is more to this than just what you see and just what you thought and just the disease. Because there's also resurrection. What if he healed, but then resurrection can't happen? Or what if resurrection's a loss and he doesn't heal? I mean, resurrection is definite, it's positive, it's sure, it's going to be there, and and He doesn't heal. Are you really any worse off if you know resurrection is there? God shows up for one or the other, and we blame Him for the second one, and we give Him credit for the first one. And I think he gets blamed a lot for not showing up, especially in times of tragedy, and especially when we feel alone. Don't think God doesn't cry. Hope begins in the dark. The stubborn hope that if you just show up and try to do something right, the dawn will come. You wait, and you watch, and you work, and you don't give up. Jesus showed up in some places where we don't go. And that's what you have to realize about God, and that's what you have to realize is Jesus shows us who God really is because Jesus showed up at a cross. And he calls us to go to that cross That we would not just hear the story, but do something with it. That we would express our faith in Him. That we would be disciples of His. That we would follow Him. That we would show up. That we would change our life. The apostles showed up for Pentecost. It was kind of touchy there. Because some of them, it seemed like, already had other ideas. of Well, we can't just sit around here and... But the apostles showed up for Pentecost and they stood for Jesus and they spoke about Jesus and they told the story of a miracle worker and a teacher who was actually their Messiah. And now they had crucified him. And they were there for the crucifixion, by the way. I mean, who's not going to show up for a good crucifixion? you got to be there for that part. I mean, that's the expiring part. It seemed like there was a whole crowd of people that came for that one. Yeah, they showed up for the crucifixion. And now they show up for Pentecost. And people ask, what do we do about crucifying Jesus? And Peter says... You need to repent, and you need to be baptized, and you need to receive the Holy Spirit, and and basically then show up. I mean, that's the short version of it all, and 3,000 did. They showed up for baptism. But it wasn't just baptism. They showed up for church, and then they showed up for people. The secret of discipleship is show up. It's pretty simple isn't it? And they learned from the apostles teaching because they showed up for the apostles teaching and they showed up for worship and they showed up for helping other people and they showed up in people's homes and they showed up when we needed each other and and it just seems so amazing as we look back and read about all this time that they had together this great fellowship they had together and you realize what the secret is is pretty easy they got out of their house and they came. I mean, that was it. They showed up. Let me encourage you to show up in your marriage. Show up for your kids. Makes all the difference. Show up in church. Show up for Jesus. That's it. That's the secret. And it's a secret you can tell to every single person everywhere And it still remains a secret. So what about you today? Is Jesus in your life? Are you willing to show up for him? Do you need to follow what these people did? Maybe you need to be baptized into Christ. Maybe you need to just say, okay, I'm going to show up for kids. I'm going to show up for family. I'm going to show up where Jesus wants me in church today if we can help you with that this is the biggest thing we're here for you we showed up